Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Off we go. Another edition here of Rosters to Riches, NIL's biggest topics from athletes, brands, and collectives. I'm Matt Moscona. Glad to have you aboard with us here, courtesy of Drop Biscuit Studios. If you're finding the pod for the first time, we appreciate you for being here. Subscribe up, rate us, leave a review on iTunes, and all that good stuff. As always, joined by Jonathan Pixley from Match Point. Sir, how are you? Doing great. How about yourself? Uh, fantastic. And when we go through the intro, we say athletes, brands, collectives, but we actually extend that branch a little further today into the legal ring. Uh, David Fleshman is an attorney at Brazil Saxe in Baton Rouge. He is a sports law expert and has also ventured, of course, into the NIL space, I guess, uh, out of necessity. Appreciate your time today. How are you? I'm well. Excited to be here. Um, so s- let's go back. Sports law, why was this interesting? Before, before we even talk NIL, why was sports law interesting? So s- sports law is... Uh is something that's always been interesting to me with, with the background in sports, um, playing sports, being around sports, being here uh, from Baton Rouge is, a, is you know, LSU is so central to that. Um, so it's just always been a part of, uh, of kind of everything that I've, I've been interested in. I've never wanted to be an agent. I always wanted to be a practicing attorney. Mm-hmm. And so I've never, I've never really dove into any of the agency um, representation. It's, Why? Why didn't you want to be an agent? I just, it just was never something I was interested in. Um, you know, I roomed with a guy uh, when I was a walk on at LSU, Tyrus Thomas, um, who was the fourth pick of the draft, and just remember kind of seeing a lot of the issues he was dealing with um, and, and kind of and being someone that was there for him as he blew up. Um, you know, I knew he needed some, some big time representation, not just a friend that he could, he could count on. You mean not like a, a Dennis Tracy? Remember that? No, you got to give me some context there. Ooh, wow, Shaq's, I just dated you. That's Shaq's, yeah. Shaq's former teammate at LSU, who then became his, I guess, represent, representation. Yeah, his agent. Yeah. I don't so think it was, well. No, because I don't know. I'm sure plenty of it are, are on so, so elaborate a little bit. I don't know the story. So Dennis Tracy played with Shaquille. He was a walk-on. At well, LSU. At LSU okay. and played with Shaquille. Uh, and then when Shaquille got drafted by Orlando, um, he trusted Dennis Tracy, and Dennis Tracy became his representation. Became his agent. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, so um, the the NIL space, though, has come quickly. How, David, how have um, – or what maybe are the similarities in sports law and NIL? Or, or was it sort of a natural transition? Yeah, it's, so it, it is a natural transition. A lot of the issues, it's a regulatory issue. It's You're dealing with uh, you know state laws first – First of all, that's what really prompted a lot of this was the, the different legislatures across the country um, passing passing laws. But you're also dealing with the interaction of state laws, with the NCAA rules and regulations, with universities' policies and, and procedures. And so it was, it was very natural. The way that we really got into it was having conversations with compliance departments across the state. Uh, this is pre, you know, July 1st, 2021. This is about eight months before. And when we talked to them about issues that they were dealing with in their athletic department, one of the things we, we kept hearing was NIL. And so we said, you know, what is the concern? Um, ULL's concerns were very different than LSU's concerns at the time. But um, what were they at the time? What were some of the differences? Well, a lot of it was uh, potentially losing some of uh, their operating revenue. You know, at smaller schools, if a dealership has been contributing $30,000 a year, mm. it was going to the, the operating budget for the athletic department. Uh, if that dealership decided to give fifteen thousand of that directly to the quarterback, that could could have some bottom line, you know, impacts for that that university. That makes sense. But so, where's the legal issue then? Well, I mean, the, that, that seems like that would just be something internal, right? At, from from an operational standpoint. Sure. The, the legal issue first arose because states were passing laws that were directly contrary to the NCAA rules. So the NCAA rules uh, barred student athletes from profiting on their name, image, and likeness. Then you had legislatures starting with California, mm-hmm. then moving to Florida. And then, of course, once Florida passed theirs, 
uh, the whole you know southeastern conference legislatures, <laughs> um, you know, said from a recruiting standpoint, we will be at a disadvantage if our legislatures don't pass a law that allows student athletes to profit from their name, image, and likeness. So it's funny what gets people to reach across the aisle, huh? It is, and it passed with flying <laughs> colors. Very little uh, debate in the legislatures, um, and it was it was pretty unanimous. But the issue originally was what is going to happen when July 1st, 2021 rolls around. And that was the first uh, of the state's laws were going to go into effect at that, at that point. The NCAA had not given any indication of what they were going to do. We were prepping for potential injunctions to be filed by the NCAA to try mm. to stop the state laws from going into effect. Um, but it was really a direct conflict between NCAA rules. And, you know, had it been one state, the NCAA may have flexed and said, every school in Florida, you're no longer a part of the NCAA. Uh. It's your choice because the schools in Florida originally had a choice. Either follow state law, which required that the schools allow their student athletes to profit on the name of likeness, or comply with NCAA rules. So there was a, a legal dispute brewing there that ultimately, you know, the night before July 1st, 2021, the NCAA came out with an interim NIL policy which was, you know, massive. They've only had about 114 years to prepare for this moment. And it, <laughs> and it came at the midnight hour. And, you know, the question that we kept hearing from LSU and, and other schools, you know, ULL was, they were well prepared. They'd been thinking about this for months in advance. Other schools, you think they had an NIL policy in place, you know, at, at their schools? I mean, the day before it was illegal for student athletes to profit their name in July. So there was a lot of, a lot of practical concerns, but from a legal standpoint, um, now you have legislatures passing laws and people suddenly asking questions, is this legal? And what is the consequence of a violation under state law? What have you encountered uh, to date? And, and first of all, let me, let me go back. I heard an amazing argument this week. Uh, you know, LSU and Florida State game happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, well, Florida, <laughs> they passed their law before Louisiana, so they were ahead in NIL, so that's why they won. So I guess that's why. They, blocked, yeah. they must have given an NIL deal to the guy who blocked the kick at the end, right? That must have been what it was. That was it. It's, it's amazing. Anyhow, uh, not to mention death threats and crazy stuff, which we won't get into right now. But uh, have you encountered um, universities who, obviously they weren't set up when it started, but major universities that are still not set up, are still kind of clueless? Absolutely. Can you, can you touch on that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, sure. So, you know, compliance departments in general, they've had the mindset of if a student athlete gets, you know, an extra club sandwich on the golf course, we need to report it to the NCAA, tell them we've, we've messed up, please you know, take it easy on us. It was not intentional. We've already corrected the problem. Well, suddenly they've now shifted to allowing student athletes to profit on their name, image, and likeness and essentially said, y'all figure it out under your own state law or your own policy. Don't come to us. We're not in the business of interpreting you know, 28 different schools, uh, you know, their state state laws on this or your school's policy. So you figure it out. So that completely changed the entire dynamic and mindset of compliance departments across the country. Um, you know, LSU was well-prepared. They had the, the NILSU campaign ready to roll out. July 1st hits, you know, they're in Times Square. Um, most, I would say most schools did not even have a policy prepared for what, what deals the student athletes could or could not do. Could you put a number on that, David? When you said most schools would, I mean. I would say, you know, there's a lot of schools. I mean, I'd say that all the Power Five schools were prepared. I mean, they were, they were well-versed in this. They've been thinking about this. They have the resources and the staffs to, to plan and prepare, not only prepare for what they're going to do, but their marketing and how they're going to roll this out. The vast majority of schools, I mean, think, you know, Nichols, McNeese, sure. Louisiana Tech, you know, they're putting out fires with the compliance departments that they have. So, you know, I, I don't know a specific number, but I know on July 1st, we saw a lot of tweets from universities that were saying, look, we're excited about this opportunity, but we're cautious and we're going to make sure we comply with all the NCAA rules. Others came out and said, it's, it's fair game. It's, you know, it's, we're, we're, we're rolling with this regardless. And so it's, uh, you know, I, I would say still to this day, to this day, um, there are schools that are not really um, up to up to speed on NIL issues, you know. You see other Power Five schools working on the branding for their student athletes. Others, yeah. we we speak on NIL a lot, and some people still don't even know what NIL stands for. It, it, it's weird because when you exist in that ecosystem, it's become part of our vernacular for the last two years, really. But 
since it's been implemented as we record this, it's been 14 months. Right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's in it. The, the whole thing is still in its relative infancy where we may come back 10 years from now and think, ah, can you believe what was, I'm, I'm sure we will. We'll come back 10 years. Now, can you believe fill in the blank was happening as it all evolves? Have you given thought to, uh, and I do want to get into some specifics and some of the, the, the legal questions a lot of people have with respect to, to NIL, but um, have you given thought to how um, this will continue to evolve NIL with respect to state laws and, and the NCAA? Yeah, so the, the trend was about half of the states passed a law. The other half didn't pass anything. Is that still? It's, it's a, it's, it stayed about the same, but what's changed in the past year since July 1st was you know, because the NCAA, so previously the NCAA was looking at this. They were looking at making these changes. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they came out with some initial guidelines that said things like schools and conferences should not have any role in facilitating deals for the student-athletes. That was kind of a guiding principle of some recommendations that were made pre-July 1st. Why, why was that? Well, part of it was they, this was a right that's personal to the student-athletes, and they did not want schools to start jumping in here and creating team-wide deals, you know, um, you know and, and just really for the stars. Um, but that was a principle, was that they did not want schools' involvement. Every legislation that passed a law actually had a provision in the law that said it prohibited schools from being involved. So what happened mm -hmm. was the states that did not pass a law did not have that same prohibition. So, for example, would Texas be one of those? Because that Texas uh, passed a law. Was, one of the early things that, that I was told, maybe I'm, I'm wrong here, was that like Texas and Alabama, well, Alabama changed theirs very so, quickly. So, so that's the trend. That's the trend. So once, once it rolled out, NCAA did not include that same key principle on, you know, the day before July 1st. Mm -hmm. Um, they just they they basically said follow your your state's laws or your school's policy if you live in a state that doesn't have a law yet. So really, what happened was the states that passed the law ended up kind of handcuffing themselves a little bit more than the other universities in states that didn't even have a law. Right. And so you had teams like you know schools like BYU that were actually facilitating deals right right out of the gate. One of them was was a built bar. Where the yep. whole the whole the whole team, team. Yep. got a deal from um, a, a prominent alum who has a, a protein bar company. That's right, and and they even they even took uh, I think they took the walk ons and and took care of all of their right basically all of their right. Took, so, took so care now of you have a lot tuition. more scholarships yeah. than than every other school, but they didn't have a law in place that prohibited that. Um, so the trend was Alabama in February of this year just repealed their entire law, and so the irony of it was that these states passed laws that forced the NCAA's hand, but it, it ended up kind of happening in a way that it, it backfired on the states that actually forced the change. And so Louisiana, this past session, also removed that prohibition uh, against the school facilitating deals um, on behalf of its student athletes. And so that's allowed the school to have a little bit more involvement. Um, you know, but there's a lot of little differences between the, between the states. You know, um, Texas, for instance, it, they specifically barred high school athletes from engaging in NIL activities at all. Mm. Louisiana doesn't even address high school athletes. And in fact, most states don't address it. California allowed it, allowed their high school athletes to engage in it, um, but, not by, but not by statute. So there's a lot of little differences, and it's a regulatory you know, uh, puzzle in a lot of ways. And so you have, you have recruits coming in from Florida. They're under a different law while they're there. Um, you know, a recruit from Texas, it's, it's barred from engaging in NIL, but once they are coming here, now they're governed under Louisiana's law. And so it is a hmm. regulatory nightmare, which is why there's a, a, a massive effort to get federal legislation in place with the idea of, of kind of resolving all of these differences. And I'll give you one more example because it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. Under Louisiana law, student athletes cannot endorse alcohol, tobacco, gaming, um, and, and kind of the vice, the vice products. In Texas, they have, they have uh, a prohibition on adult entertainment that Louisiana doesn't have. Um, you know, in Florida, the student athletes there are not prohibited from endorsing alcoholic beverages. So they have, you know, different, different deals across the country that are actually barred right next door. And so student athletes, parents, and high school um, administrators struggle to figure out what we can or can't do from a legal standpoint under the laws as they exist today. Wait, real quick. Just, I'm sorry, because I want to follow up on that point. Um, it, it, Matt, Matt's point has done deals like recently with Shelton Sampson, five-star receiver, right? High school athlete. 
So theoretically, could an athlete in the state of Texas, a high school athlete, do an NIL deal with a Louisiana company for an endorsement that's run in Louisiana? Like, let's say on my radio show, I wanted a five-star quarterback from Texas did an advertisement that ran on my radio show in Louisiana. Is that would that be legal? He he couldn't participate in Texas sports once he does that. Okay, so he would be barred from so, participating. And, and, we, and okay. we saw that with the with the Texas quarterback who forewent his senior year, Quinn Ewers. So he he said, "Look, guys, I'd love to try to win state championship with you here our senior year, but I've got a lot of money to go make." And he went up to you know, yeah, Ohio was, State, seven yeah. figure deal, and then now he's he's transferred and he's back <laughs> in Texas. Wonder if that was. Pre-planned, maybe I don't know. Anyhow, moving on. Question four: Do you, you think it was? I, I have to imagine there was some thought that he was going to come back to Texas. Okay, the following year, just, what, just speculation. Who did a seven-figure deal with him at Ohio State? Do we know? No, I think there were several, several different deals. Yeah, but it was a bunch of boosters to get him there. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is going to be interesting when uh, Mr. Manning shows up next year. So, well, so that's the question, though. Then, like, well, the the obvious question then is, do those boosters who do those deals have any legal right to recoup any of those funds, which I guess we can get to, but I know there was something else you wanted to add. Yeah, we're going to get to that, and that's okay. it's perfect timing for the week, obviously. Um, but going back to, you know, and look, at match point, when you, when you talked about the states that didn't have a law in place, how they actually were in an advantageous position, I, I know we talked at the very beginning of all this, I was shocked when Governor Edwards signed the bill initially because we're sitting there going, well, if there's no bill signed, then LSU and the other universities in the state can basically create their own rules. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the universities seemed that they wanted some guidelines to have to go by, but it ended up putting them in a bad spot. But for Matchpoint or for any third party that's dealing with, uh, or any business, honestly, that's dealing with a university where now the university can be involved, makes life a whole, whole lot easier on us because we can now communicate directly with coaches very legally and talk to them about, uh, NIL deals and help facilitate it. Now, there's some gray area there, right? I mean, when you said one of the reasons that they didn't want, the NCAA didn't want the schools involved was because of the possibility for the appearance of pay for play, which it, I think is, is a good uh, kind of ground rule as to why most universities will still stay out of the actual payout of the athletes. But as far as the facilitation of deals, now they can be involved. Um, and so they have to be. They right. have to. They have to stay out of it, pursuant to the NCAA's rules. I mean, there's two two main takeaways from the NCAA standpoint. It can't be used as a recruiting inducement or as a means of pay for play. That's those are the two rules that they rolled out at the midnight hour. Mm-hmm. And so, what does that look like? Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, how do you establish that something, a uh, payment was made or a deliverable that actually occurred, something you know, there was an exchange there, but what was what was the intent behind it? Now, one way, well, it was done before the kid even got got onto campus. Well, certainly starting to lean more towards an inducement, um, or even a deal to keep a player here. Mm-hmm. You know, so all of the the questions that come up about if uh, you know if a quarterback transfers, uh, can the business claw back money? Um, you know, it cannot be the compensation cannot be based on continued enrollment at a university or continued participation uh, on, on, a, on an athletic team. I mean, that, that, is, that is not a gray area. That is black and, and, and white. The gray area comes into well, what does that look like and how do you enforce that? 
the great thing to see is that schools aren't using it for recruiting or retention at this point, right? I mean, nobody's doing that nationwide, right? I mean, everybody's yeah. following that rule. Well, look, that was ha ha, by the way. Right. Nobody, yeah. I, I think right. you, you yeah. <laughs> especially because we're talking in legal sense. I, let's not assume people understand that you're joking there. Like, yeah. let's let's True. be let's be very specific here. Um, the general belief is that NIL is being used for recruiting inducement, one hundred percent, and to keep student athletes on campus. So. I'm so you're and you're that obviously we know is not allowed within the NCAA rule, but legally there's nothing wrong with that, correct? Or is there? Well, there there's nothing legally wrong with that. Okay, um, there was a prohibition against use of of NIL deals for pay for play um, that was removed, um, but it was it was removed because the NCAA already prohibits it. So it was a, an attempt to if the NCAA changes their rule mm -hmm. or adjusts that. We don't want to be in the same situation where Louisiana now has. You're specifically talking Louisiana. Yes. What, or is it? Does that vary by state? No. I mean, so every regardless of whether a state has a law or does not have a law, the institutions are prohibited from by the NCAA. By the NCAA. I'm asking about state law. Yes, I, I'm not aware of any state okay. law that allows. Okay. Anyone to 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 be paid. How does the state enforce this? Like what? Because the the question <laughs> becomes. Are are you going to come like with handcuffs knocking on a door to arrest a kid if he takes money to go play college it's athletes? A, it's a it's that's the question from day one, and it's clear that legislatures across the country weren't really interested in, in, in answering that either. So it's left open, um, you know, and really kind of puts it on the, on the university itself. But there is no the attorney general uh, here in Louisiana is not going to come, you know, necessarily try to enforce. Uh, well, this this student athlete actually did a deal with a tobacco company. Um, that's a violation of state law. So now, him, you're going to write him a ticket. You know, there is there's nothing set forth in our legislation or really any of the other states' legislation. So it's really about protecting the student athletes' rights to make money on their name, image, and likeness. The, the legislation was never intended to to govern or or establish all of those hmm. those rights. It was really meant to directly contradict the NCAA's prohibition against it. And and so it's been successful uh, in that regard. Got it. So there's there's no um, penalties written into state no. law. Okay. And, you know, the tongue-in-cheek comment I made a little while ago about recruiting, how are you going to prove it? How would you ever approve, uh, approve unless it was documented on a text message or unless houses were bugged or whatever, right, where a coach is going to walk in and say, um, look, Here's what we have waiting on you when you get to such and such university. You will be guaranteed to make this much in NIL because we have this set up for you, as opposed to saying what they should say, which is, here's what our team did last year. Here's what we have mm -hmm. going on in our NIL program right now. Can't guarantee you anything legally, right? But, I mean, you're using it as a recruiting tool. Nick Saban, we've talked about it at nauseum. Mm -hmm. When was the first time you heard him mention NIL? Oh, and, and, you know, our quarterback. I don't even think he said Bryce Young. I think, yeah, our quarterback's going to make a million dollars this year. He hadn't right. even taken the snap yet. Right. And and, and that's, you know, that, it's very clear and very intentional signaling. That is the market that, that's here at Alabama. And there's no no question about it. And schools are doing the same thing across the country. Um, you know, the irony to me is that uh, legislatures across the South passed it and, and enacted the laws for recruiting. They did not want to have a recruiting disadvantage. So from the very get-go, it's been – discussed in in terms of recruiting um and the need to allow our student athletes for recruiting purposes so you touched on something earlier about um you know having to give money back potentially athletes what does that look like uh let, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room which obviously it was rumored and it is there's no truth to it as of now that after the florida state game you know a few lsu athletes scrubbed their accounts uh all-American wide receiver Kayshawn Boutte being one of them. So everybody assumed automatically uh, that he was going to transfer, and then there was a fake account put out and blah, blah, blah. Uh, regardless of truth or, you know, rumor at that point, which, again, it's proved to be a rumor to date, let's play the what-if game. What if an athlete has taken money for NIL deals, is still at the university, is in the middle of their season or the beginning of their season, and then decides to transfer. What are the legal issues? What are the legal ramifications? You know, how do you navigate that? Sure, it's going to come down to the to, to the contract and the contract language. Um, you know, the contracts should not have any 
uh, NCAA violation written into the contract, such as if you leave or transfer to a different school or quit attending LSU or, or get kicked off the football team, then this deal is over and you have to pay us back. That would be a direct violation, and that would be the evidence that the NCAA would use and wave around to, you know, to, to sanction a school for a violation or to rule a player ineligible. Would the, I'm sorry, but is there, could language be written into a contract where if a player leaves school A, the contract's terminated without the necessity of refunding the money? Because, for example, if I'm a business in uh, Clemson, South Carolina, I'm only benefited by this athlete as long as they're an athlete at Clemson, right? Or, or fill in the school wherever wherever you are. Why? There's there's ways. There's, it's going to come back to how the contract is drafted. But if it's a three year deal, mm-hmm. and let's just say that someone is getting paid five thousand dollars a month to do these ten things throughout over the three year time period, they leave after year one. Um, you know that is a concern. If you say it terminates now, you're not entitled to the rest of of the income because um, you know you cannot perform these these items. If you draft it in a way, attending an event here in Baton Rouge and they transfer to Alabama and getting here, then arguably they're not entitled to that compensation. So mm-hmm. it depends on how how the language of the contract's drafted. What we see a lot of is a lot of one time deals. You might do ten or fifteen deals with one player. It's not a three-year deal that's payments made monthly or after you do that, that, that deliverable. You might set it up for this, you know, five posts on social media um, within the next two months, and then you're going to be paid. So the contract is finished when you complete the deliverables. So, I, you know, it, it's all going to come down to the contractual language. But there, and there's other ways to say, you know, look, this is a, I am engaging you to promote my Baton Rouge-based business. And these deliverables are tied to Baton Rouge. And if you're in Canada next year, then that's not helping my business. There's also ways to, to, to draft language that says if you're kicked off the team and you make my company you know, look bad, then I don't have any obligation to continue, to continue this contract. Mm. And a, a morals clause that you see in a, in a lot of endorsement deals. It's, it's what you know, Tiger Woods gets in trouble and gets the games pulled from him and all the endorsements. I mean, it's the same language. So if there is an incident that results in a player being kicked off the team or, you know, he quits and you can make a good faith argument that it violates this morals clause, then there is a potential to end that contract. So am I oversimplifying it by saying, okay, you can't actually do a deal where you terminate the contract if they leave, but you can structure it or word it a certain way to where you can terminate the deal if they leave? But yeah, yes. So essentially, yeah. it's 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 semantics. It's it's it, it is semantics. But I think that most businesses and athletes, certainly the, on the athlete side, they have no idea uh, what the, the contract drafting process, what it what's allowed, what's and there's compliance. It's, it's trying to educate them, but they're they're looking at businesses, and by and large, the players are not being represented by legal counsel. That's what I was going to ask. Are you representing businesses or players? Mostly businesses. It's businesses, it's, yeah. And, it, and that's really the economics of the, of the deals. A lot of these deals are not seven-figure deals or even six-figure deals. They're, it might be $500 or um, you know, for one appearance at a birthday party. They're not going to hire attorneys probably on either side mm. and pay them $200 to review the contract and, and redline some changes. It doesn't make economics. It doesn't make walking around sense to do that. Mm. And so you know, a lot of that is a is a problem that, that we that we stress is, you know, we represent businesses that are planning to do a lot of deals. So we'll, we'll give them, they'll pay for a template, you know, that we can make sure it's compliant. You know, businesses that want to make sure that they're, they're not in the headlines, making the student athlete look bad and their business look bad because they've gotten a player ruled ineligible because they simply just don't know the rules. So that does make sense to have legal counsel. And, and quite frankly, the student athletes need legal representation and they're not getting it. They don't have it. Which is super interesting that you bring that up because, you know, previously agents could only be involved with professional athletes. Well, now that they can be involved at the collegiate level, we are encountering and have recently, um, you know, some some predatory uh, individuals who are going after young kids, especially yeah. in high school, uh, prior to them even signing or committing anywhere, um, you know, who are family members or friends of the family or whatever who say, you know, look, you can trust me because I'm so-and-so and then they'll put a contract into place that the kid 
the mom, the dad has no idea what's being signed or anything. Just trust the individual. And the next thing you know, they're hamstrung. Uh, and, and so those things are happening more often now that we see than, you know, you, you hear about the, the agents, uh, issues at the professional level, but at least those guys are, you know, professionals at what they right. do and, uh, licensed, uh, yep. now, now yep. it's really, really gotten bad. Yeah. We, we've seen the same thing. Agents have, have filled that void and are trying to, to develop the relationship with these players by, by offering that. Um, and that is, it's, you know, sometimes it's better than nothing on the legal side of a contract. They're actually thinking about the player's best interest and, you know, how long does the business have the right to, to the student athlete's name, image, and likeness? You know, if a business is requiring them to do 30 different things for $30, probably not a good deal. Um, you know, and so, but the agents have dove, they've, we've seen a lot more, um, agents representing athletes where we are negotiating contracts with an agent mm. and, um, you know, but, but that brings a lot of concerns too. who negotiated the, the, the contract with their agent. You know, uh, what does that deal look like? What percentage is, is the agent getting, you know, so that's all just kind of left open to the market right now. If a player does delete a post. I pay player A to make a post about my business on his Instagram or her Instagram. It it exists for three months, and then they scroll. We keep using the, the phrase scrub. For those who don't know, that's basically just deleting all the posts on your account. And I, for the life of me, I'm on every social media channel. I can't understand why someone would just delete every post on their account, but I, whatever. There's, there's, there's something there. But it, we've seen it happen where – Guys or, or gals have gotten endorsement deals. They make their post, and then two months later, three months later, whatever, they may scrub their account. So that that post, which as a business owner, I would want to live in perpetuity, uh, no longer does. Does the business owner have a legal right to go make them post again? It should be all all dealt with in the contract. I mean, in the contracts that we've dealt with, you know, a lot of a lot of things. With, what's interesting is to see the sophistication of a lot of the student athletes when it comes to social media way more sophisticated than some of the, the businesses when it comes to social media. And so you know, we've actually seen in contracts, business say, you have to leave it up for a year, this post. Well, the student athlete is pushed back to say, look, here's all the data. Here's all the, the numbers. I am receiving this many views within the first seven days. Mm -hmm. Here is the rest of that year that you want me to leave it up. 95% um, of the views are within that, within that first seven days. The student athlete will make a pitch to say it is more, um, you know, it's more profitable. You're going to get the same amount of outreach in seven days, but it helps me maintain that, you know, a, a clear um, profile where it's not just a string of all the different deals that I've done over the past three years. And so the businesses have said, well, look, we care about the views. If you're getting this many views in the first seven days, hmm. done. We'll, we'll, you can delete it and do whatever you want with it after seven days. And so it's, it has been an interesting kind of educational piece of, you know, for businesses on the social media aspect. And there's an angle to it as well, which, you know, being a social media novice, like I still am, uh, mm. it, uh, you know, at first glance, if you're a business owner who doesn't know anything about it and you're, you're looking at somebody's Instagram page and they have six posts on there, but they have a hundred thousand followers. It looks like, Oh my goodness, they're getting huge engagement with every post that they make, mm. but you don't realize that they may have scrubbed, you know, 60 other posts. Right. That isn't, that's an interesting uh, point as well. Um, with one of the things that I've heard so often for every NIL conversation, I've heard so many college sports fans say, why don't they just cap it? Just cap the NIL deal. And I've been told over and over by people who cover the sport at a high level that there are lawsuits already drafted. Mm. If they ever cap it, here come the attorneys. Uh, is that true? That's very, very true. Why? Very true. How, how, There's why? no, why? the moment that the NCAA tries to restrict student athletes' ability to profit on the name, image, and likeness. If they say that for an appearance, you can only make $5,000. Under state law, we have now created a legal action, a legal right for the student athlete to challenge that. Um, so in every state, now they, well, in 28 states, they have the legal right under state law but also they'll probably bring it under federal law and challenge the NCAA, and it'll just be the latest line of challenges. But the basis of amateurism that the NCAA has relied on has been really blitzed in the last year with the Alston case, the Supreme Court case. Um, the concurring opinion in that decision uh, has laid the groundwork 
for any and all challenges to uh, to the NCAA's reliance on amateurism to restrict compensation. It wasn't directly addressed with in, in Austin. That wasn't NIL wasn't um, a, an issue in Austin, but it was about education related benefits. But the 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 base of all of the NCAA's restrictions is this idea of amateurism, which has taken a beating by the Supreme Court. Hmm. But you also have the possibility where if a school were to put something in their policies that negated a student athlete from doing something that they wanted to do, as long as it didn't break a law, obviously, I mean, you could get into a situation where an athlete is suing their own school. Absolutely. It's coming. Hmm. And that's another one that's, that's been drafted. It's, it's been close. Um, some compliance departments take a, um, a stance that if you are the, you know, the exclusive um, corporate sponsor, then, you know, then a deal by a competitor with another student athlete is problematic. Well, that's not what the law says. And so student athletes said, well, wait a second, you need to show us where in this existing contract that you already have, it conflicts with the deal that I want to, I want to do. Mm. And so, you know, compliance departments have been educated. And a lot of times we have to show them the law and to say that, look, there is no basis of this restriction. And if you continue to restrict these student athletes, there will be a lawsuit filed as an unreasonable restriction on a student's NIL right under Louisiana law. So you're saying if a school is a Nike school and Adidas wants to do an NIL deal with an athlete from that school, the student has the right to do it under state law, even if the school tries to enforce it. As long as it does not conflict with the existing Nike contract. Gotcha. So a lot of times, if, what, what would, yeah, sorry. How so would, on, how would, on field, for instance. So, okay. you know, Adidas or Under Armour could not, uh, pay a student athlete to wear in pregame, you know, um, or, or on the getting off the team bus. But if they want to, if Adidas wants to pay a student athlete to walk around campus in an Adidas shirt, then there's sure. nothing that, that they would prevent that in the contract with. Now, I think you're going to see a lot of endorsement, a lot of the uh, sponsorship agreements change. You know, that's a, that's a big issue that schools are dealing with because they've had, you know, the, um, you know, the official, uh, sports drink of LSU of LSU sports. Well, now if you're going to pay that money, you're going to want to make sure that you don't have a other competitors coming in and actually getting more face time. Um, but I don't, I don't think that the schools are going to probably allow that. I think they're going to say, no, this is what the cost is. You can, this is a free market, but anything schools do anything the NCAA does to try to restrict student athletes, name, image, and, and likeness rights will likely end up in court and be challenged. Yeah, it, it, just as you're saying that, I, I'm running through my brain just the number of NIL deals I've seen student-athletes do that would conflict with corporate partners at universities. Uh, Matchpoint has done quite a number of deals with student-athletes uh, with small sliders, uh, which is a, a, a drive-through burger mm -hmm. joint. Um, I shouldn't say burger joint. You understand yeah. what I mean. S sliders, small burgers. Um, well, LSU has an official corporate partner that's a fast food place. Um, but then again, LSU's football coaches for the mm -hmm. last decade plus have had their own independent deal with a separate, I, I don't know if we should say names, well, Raising Canes. Yes. So Les Miles and Ed Ogeron, that deals with Raising Canes, McDonald's is the corporate partner at LSU. Popeyes it, could, could sure. have an NIL, NIL deal with a quarterback. There's, there's no reason why, why they couldn't. I mean, look, la our last episode, we talked to Ryan Terrio. Terrio is a former athlete, is my partner in a roofing company. We've done NIL deals with LSU athletes. There is an official roofing company of LSU athletics, and we're not it. Right. But I mean, but to your point, like I think they're all they're all smart enough. And the feedback that we've gotten, and I'm curious if this is maybe your experience at other universities as well. And we've dealt with not just LSU, but Nichols and Tulane and ULL. So several, you know, we have endorsers throughout the state at different universities, but most of the athletic departments, particularly the coaches, are thrilled. They just want their their athletes to be taken care of. So I I'm curious if there would be a circumstance where a university might try to intervene. Sure. There, there has been. I mean, Interesting. There, and, and really it comes from, I would say, the athletic you know, uh, you know, the athletic director getting a lot of pressure from corporate sponsors or yeah. their entity that is that is actually running, you know, like a Playfly Sports or LSU Sports Properties. Sure. You know, that, that, that is their business, and they've been doing this, and they've negotiated these contracts, and then they're getting a lot of pushback 
from the official sponsors. I bet they are. And so the compliance department, and if you're in a small university here and you get a call from the athletic director who's got, you know, the equivalent of, you know, Playfly on the phone and they're furious and they say, you can't allow our student athletes to do this. They are calling student athletes to tell them you cannot do this. And sometimes the student athletes, you know, if they have legal counsel or they, they know Louisiana law, they may say, well, that's, you can't do that unless you can show me how it, how this, how my proposed deal actually conflicts uh, with your existing, with your existing uh, contract and mm. endorsement. Um, and we've had to, to, to intervene in a situation like that, to, to point out to the compliance department that what they were telling the student athlete they couldn't do was, was actually a violation of Louisiana law. And they looked at it and said, you're right. We're sorry. Hmm. And so, so they allowed, they allowed that deal to go through. Another scenario for you, which we've heard across the country, we hear here locally as well, but, uh, universities and athletic foundations are concerned about losing money to NIL because they're raising money for facilities and whatnot. Right. But on a podcast, I guess two, two podcasts ago that we did with coach Wade, he flat out said, I walked into the office and said, look, our facilities need to be upgraded. But if you tell me I have to, I have to choose between NIL money or upgrading the facilities, I'm choosing NIL money a hundred percent because of corporate sponsorship, um, that you've been talking about. Do you foresee any legal issues there where maybe corporations or business owners, they want to give more towards the NIL side because the reality is, and coach said it, you don't have the players. It doesn't matter. Right. And, and which is interesting to me because I've always thought, well, if you have the players, people are going to come watch regardless of what, what they're watching in. And then eventually you'll be able to use that revenue that's generated to upgrade your facilities probably. But nonetheless, that's not what the athletic Chicken foundations are concerned about right now because they need money now, right? So do you foresee any legal issues down the road where basically athletic foundations that are relying on uh, uh, booster money and corporate sponsorship money, um, I, I guess, competing with one another at that point? 100%. Yes, there's a lot of legal legal concerns. there, And it, that is a very real concern that has been, um, you know, been discussed by, you know, entities like TAF or other booster organizations, but typically they're set up as a 501c3, you know, nonprofit. And there's some restraints there of getting involved. There's also concerns about Title IX concerns um, of jumping in and, and being involved. Now, technically they're a separate entity from LSU Athletics, but, you know, there's concerns with LSU and other state, state athletic departments facilitating deals. And, you know, if it looks like they're not equally, you know, facilitating opportunities, for all the softball team in the same way that they are for the baseball team, there's Title IX concerns there. Are you mm -hmm. saying that Coach Mulkey would not be happy if um, she were not receiving uh, fair treatment? I'm pretty, is, is that I'm what pretty you're sure she would know. You would know. She would make it very known uh, if she was not receiving that the same treatment. But um, there are concerns with athletic departments getting involved in this process, and there's equal concerns with associated organizations that have traditionally raised money for the arms race of the facilities arms race that are now seeing that shift to NIL. I think, um, you know, I, I certainly think that, uh, that TAF and other organizations have been studying this and would love to jump in if it was easy for them to do it and permissible to do it. Um, they haven't. Um, the law has been changed to allow them potentially to, um, and there hasn't been a single step towards that. And I think that's very, that's very telling. And I think that's probably the wisest move is to let, let the student athletes and collectives or other business owners directly contract with the student athletes and to not have involvement from college campuses. T by the way, TAF, Tiger Athletic Foundation, that's LSU's fundraising arm. I'm just reminded, there's so many people interested in, in NIL. There's going to be people who are outside of, of uh, sort of our sphere sure. here in the LSU community that are, that are going to be interested because every university has their own version of t whichever it is fill in the blank for for whatever school it is that you support um my last question is about federal law um mark emmert the president of the the outgoing president of the ncaa uh, lobbied congress to before nil went live to try to enact federal legislation to prevent what we saw which was a variety of state laws and just sort of an open floodgates and a here do you think we'll ever see federal law overseeing NIL? 
I, I do think we will see it. I don't think it's anytime soon. I, I don't think that the, the five number, years, 20 years, possibly. I, I think what they're really going after, which five or 20. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere in between, somewhere in between five and 20. Okay. Um, wow. I, I don't see based on uh, the, you, the are you an administrator at LSU oh, or any university for Man. that matter? Somewhere greater than five, less than 20. Um, huh. but I, I just don't see the efforts that, that have, the attempts so far have, have, have failed. Um, and I think there's a lot of issues. I think a lot of things get tacked on when you get, you know, it's interesting to me to see the legislation across the country just pass with flying colors, very straight, you know, very straightforward legislation. You get it to the federal level and there's all kind of other issues. And one of the biggest topics, um, is, you know, a potential antitrust exemption, which I know I don't want to put everyone to sleep here, but that is what the NCAA is hoping to, to have Congress legislate. So that it would allow them to come up with new rules and not potentially be subject to legal challenges across the country. The NCAA spends a lot of time and money in court, and recently they've been they've been losing a lot of cases, um, and and so they want to try to get around that and have have federal legislation. And I think, quite frankly, the attempts so far are not not real promising that we're anywhere close to getting a federal NIL bill. And, and to make it clear, the NCAA has been operating on this antitrust exemption without it actually being in place. Right. Right. And that's, yeah. what, that's what's always. 40 years. Right. So uh, one more question for you. Um, I heard you had an amazing high school basketball coach. Um, for those of you who don't know who are listening, David uh, was my first best player at Dunham way, way, way back when. And um, he was, he's probably my favorite player I've ever coached. But we also, wow. oh, how about that? Hardest working guy ever. By the way, also, he's a walk on it. He walked on at LSU, but uh, tore his ACL his senior year at Dunham playing football, which he also had a future in potentially as well. Um, and was a Division I scholarship caliber athlete prior to that. So um, came back and played on one leg for, for us in basketball and was still first team all district. Anyhow, so I, I could go on and on. But we did both happen to play for the same college coach. And, um, that's that college coach promised me when I went to Sanford University that because LSU didn't really recruit you when you, uh, if you come here, we will guaranteed play LSU. My senior year, we come down, we beat LSU at Sanford. And then the next year he gets the job. What? At LSU. At LSU. Yeah. What is your favorite semi-clean John Brady story? I'm not sure I have one. I'm not. Uh... Or maybe not favorite, best. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not real sure. I have a clean one. Um, there, there aren't any. There, there, there aren't. There aren't that, that many. Is, that is a literal impossibility. Clean it up for us, then. Oxymoron. Yeah, I got you. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you. I, and I ran into Coach Brady on on uh, Sunday. Uh, he was actually walking away from the game. Uh, everybody was walking towards the game, and and he was walking away, which which, which was interesting. Um, Coach Brady had a ton of one-liners, um, you know, mixed-up cuss words that never made sense. That you had to put your jersey in your mouth. <laughs> How did he do it? How did he do it? How did he he pieced curse words it, together that didn't fit, and he and then he never finished them either. So go ahead. Sorry. No, he he, but he, but he had all kind of you know your 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 soft as as owl you know pellets, yeah. um, <laughs> you know to, to clean it up a little bit. Um, used to tell you know he had a, a favorite line that you know you're so soft. Uh, you know, I had to take an insurance policy out on, on, on your, your butt. Um, you know, he used to tell Tyrus that this ain't, this ain't McKinley no more. You know, he, just, <laughs> he had a lot of one-liners. We, we kept a running list, but, um, he's a beauty, but he, he, he certainly, um, uh, you know, he, him and, and with, before Duke, you know, I mean, and, and the way he says Duke is, is interesting too. Duke. I hope he's, Duke, Duke, Duke. Um, but you know, he has, he really kept the team focused during that, that final four run. And, and we laughed about it on, on Sunday. It felt like we were playing another sec game. It felt like we were just playing Ole Miss until we actually got out on the court and saw Duke run out and saw coach K saw JJ Reddick and said, wait, this is, this is that Duke. Um, but you know, he, he, he wanted to win. He was, you know, he was, we, we never played defense well enough. Um, and, and watching LSU basketball and team score a hundred, win a game 119 to 117 gives me anxiety. Because we would still be running to this day if yes. we allowed more than six. If that had points. happened over the course of three games, you'd have a problem. We would, yeah. But, um, but yeah, no. It also didn't help uh, coming into play for the same coach because he thought I was Jonathan Pixley <laughs> and I wasn't Jonathan Pixley <laughs> and couldn't shoot like Jonathan Pixley, and so the comparisons uh, there were were not always fair. 
So, so I have a, a real quick, great story that I will clean up because coach, I'll give him one thing. He always told you exactly how he felt. Still does. Pulled no punches. Right. Um, which, you know, you, you come to appreciate as you get older and, and further removed from it. We're sitting at halftime of a game. Don't remember where we were, who we were playing, whatever. And I'm a freshman on the team and he is yell he is ripping into a senior for not reversing the ball to me whenever I was open. Okay. Which is, you know, an interesting dynamic to begin with. Well, the senior looks at him and says, but coach, I was open and following five to six expletives that didn't make any sense. He said, there's a reason you're open. You're always going to be open. It's called a scouting report. So, anyhow. Uh, the inimitable John Brady, of course, who was at Samford, then at LSU, Arkansas State, now is actually on the LSU Sports Radio Network. Uh, coached both of these guys, Jonathan Pixley at Samford, of course, David Fleshman at LSU. And uh, I was a, uh, a CYO Metro Area Free Throw Shooting Champion. Uh, circa 1996. Uh, so just FYI. Rick Barry. No, no, no need, man. Just just so that we understand we're all very competent, uh, accomplished athletes here uh, on the hardwood. Yes. No doubt. And the CYO is as good as it gets. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't really then. It was just, uh, I mean, it might have been actually, but I could just set and shoot because uh, I couldn't jump. Still can't. But, um, Matt, you heard the liberties that Pixley took with facts now that, you know, 20 years later. So feel free to edit that story, you know, <laughs> as, as you need. You know what? I'm just going to own it. I'm going to own what I am in 20 years, but it's coming about 30 years <laughs> now is actually what that's been, which is stunning. But it's, uh, uh, life goes on. It, the, as will NIL and all of these conversations. This has been a fun conversation. So, David, thank you. We do appreciate you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, he is David Fleshman joining us here on Rosters to Riches. If you are new, finding us for the first time, thank you. Please subscribe up to the podcast, however you get your podcast. And if you or you know someone who is interested in all the goings on in NIL, we're here every week. Normally, we drop on Tuesdays every week. Thanks for being here, here on Rosters to Riches. Until next time, Rosters to Riches from Drop Biscuit Studios.